Hi, and welcome to another edition of NCBI's podcast. My name is Kevin Kelly. I'm the Head of Policy and Advocacy with NCBI. Over the last uh, few months, we brought you a series of uh, different interviews, and on today's episode, we thought it would be very timely to uh, check in with our good friends in FEAC to see uh, how things are going for parents of uh, children with uh, vision impairments. Ethna is the Advocacy Officer with FEAC. Ethna, thanks for joining me on the show. No problem, Kevin. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Anytime. Ethna, I suppose, um, like everyone, um, COVID has been a real struggle and an unexpected uh, struggle uh, for parents. It has, yeah. I suppose it's, uh, it, like everyone else, we were all shocked when it happened. Um, our kids were in school one day and they were at home the next, but it caused problems for all kids. But I suppose it was a special set of problems for kids who are blind and visually impaired. Um, it became very obvious to us very quickly with the amount of traffic on our Facebook page and the amount of emails I was getting in that a lot of parents were finding it very stressful and um, having a lot of difficulties. Um, a part of it was that they just were, everyone was sent home very quickly. So some kids came home with no equipment and so they didn't, I don't think people actually realised, okay, they're going to be homeschooled. They might have thought that in their head, but not thought the practicalities, which were, i.e., for visually impaired, you need to have access to the materials, which means you need your visualiser, you need your laptop, you need your books. So a lot of kids came home, first of all, without the materials. Um, and second of all, they they there was no knowledge the schools had no knowledge of what was going forward or what was happening. So the kind of after the initial everyone going home and everyone's safe, it was suddenly like now we have to educate them. But a lot of the stuff that visually impaired and blind students needed was still left in school. Yeah, things were uh, exceptionally uh, chaotic uh, at the time when we look back uh, to March and when uh, then Ton- uh, then Lee of Radker made the statement uh, from the steps uh, in Washington about uh, schools uh, closing down and school authorities and the department had to move move uh, rather quickly but uh, on, on talking to a number of uh, parents uh, that are involved with uh, NCBI and uh, to yourself over the last few months I think uh, children with uh, special educational needs were uh, somewhat uh, forgotten particularly in the early days. Yeah I think I think after the initial everyone's at home and we thought maybe we'd be home for a week or two and then with Easter holidays we'd be all back again but quickly became obvious that it was going to be for a long time. So there was the initial, not the right materials and stuff going home, but then there was teachers dealing with the class as if everybody was fully sighted and everybody had the same um, the same uh, abilities or, or didn't need any extra support. Whereas when you're in school, a lot of our children would get one-on-one resource support or other, they'd have the help of an SNA uh, to help them access materials. So kids were sitting at home and some kids, the schools reacted and they set up things so they could access materials, but a lot of them simply didn't because they were in a situation of chaos. Um, they didn't really think about them. Now, this is where problems really began to unfold because you had some people who got in touch with schools and schools reacted immediately and sorted out the problems. However, you had others where there weren't great reactions and uh, supports weren't increased. Um, so, for example, for my, say, for one of my, I had a junior search child and a leaving search child. So, leaving search was absolutely fine, but junior search, 
he was having real problems accessing um accessing all the materials because some of them were on email some were on programs that he couldn't read uh things like um markers on boards weren't strong enough or thick enough so all these things meant that he wasn't really having access to school or to his classes now because i was at home and my work had stopped i was able to sit beside him and help him but that is not the normal situation at all so a lot of parents who were at work or didn't have access to a second pc couldn't help their kids so effectively they were sitting at home and not really being educated and now we contacted uh, the des pretty quickly because we could tell this was happening and we asked for some leadership or some guidelines for schools because we had some schools doing zoom classes some schools doing whatsapp some schools contacting only by email um, and we felt guidelines need to be or instructions sent out to schools to say, look, resource classes should, where possible, go ahead or there should be some one on ones with kids. Um, however, this didn't really materialise because I think they were scrabbling with the whole Leaving Cert Junior Cert thing and, and mainstream school just uh, kind of got forgotten about. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of uh, scrambling around. Um over the last uh, few months and the whole education uh, piece uh, whether you look at the leaving cert the junior cert even the return to school it's been uh, probably the most uh, chaotic uh, in terms of uh, planning when you look across broader uh, government and I was thinking there when you were listing out some of the uh, challenges that uh, parents uh, experience, but even when the system is functioning in, in normal times uh, before COVID, access to materials and technology uh, in, in the home setting, uh, that was already uh, quite complicated and challenging in certain parts of the country. It is, yeah. It's, it's, it is an ongoing issue. What I feel with COVID, what COVID did was it highlighted all our issues and doubled them. OK, so why we always have these issues, this made them really apparent to everybody. I think um, another big issue was uh, we have a visiting teacher service. So the visiting teachers would come and support the kids in school. When the schools closed, they kind of disappeared for a lot of people. Others stayed in touch, but there was a huge cohort that seemed to say, well, the schools are closed, so we can't do anything. So it took a while for them to actually get back in touch with parents and some some people unfortunately contacted us to say they had no contact from the visiting teacher now the visiting teacher is the liaison between school and student so it's a crucial liaison and a, a lot of the times the schools are waiting for guidance from vts now i know it was something new that had you know a, a, an unknown situation but um some VTs weren't really in touch with schools or in touch with pupils. So that extra piece was gone as well, which didn't help things. Um, access to materials is always an issue, but you can imagine how bad that was when kids were at home and they didn't have either their visualizer or their large print books or whatever format they used. But I think what was crucial about this whole thing is, and in a way it's a very negative thing, but it's a very positive thing. I think for the, it was the first time a lot of parents actually realized how hard it is sitting in a class, you know, made for the sight majority for their children. It was the first time they really said, wow, this is really, really tricky. And hang on, what supports do my kids have? So <clears throat> while we would know a lot of this, often kids are in and out of school. They don't know any difference. So they think it's fine missing two thirds of the class or one third of the class. But when parents actually saw it, they realized what a mountain it is to climb when the correct supports aren't in place. And while COVID 
is a terrible situation. It's highlighted a situation that's kind of been ongoing in the schools for visually impaired kids for the last six or seven years. Um, the VT service was to be overhauled. There was a big report done six years ago. And while they said it is a key service, which it is, there were changes to be made. None of those changes got made. Um, also, with the new allocation model, which the department brought in a model where in the old days, you're, if you were at visual impairment, you would be entitled to two and a half or three hours one on one resource with your with the teacher to catch up on everything that's now been changed, which it needed to be changed for the whole system. It didn't need to be changed for visually impaired kids. So their access to resource has actually been greatly reduced. So if a child is missing out on something, it's very hard for them to get the one on one time to catch up on that because who gets resource is decided by the principal and that's on a basis of need because the needs of visually impaired students aren't well known because they are a minority disability often principals and even special needs educators aren't aware of them because they haven't had a visually impaired child before so they don't realize there's a whole set of extra skills that aren't on the curriculum that need to be got in order for them to survive the curriculum so they'll say but they're fine they're reading they're writing they're, they're actually grand when actually they need to be learning to type, they need to be learning uh, very good IT skills so they can manage folders and subjects and huge amounts of materials in second level. And all this has to be done in a resource setting because that's not what the whole class is doing. Now, a lot of those skills aren't being covered anymore. So the cracks in the system were really highlighted because you had kids at home who had probably got too dependent on SNAs and therefore couldn't manage stuff themselves and parents were realizing for the first time what a struggle it was in mainstream. So while it was a terrible thing, awareness is always a good thing because it's a point from which we can move forward and try and improve things. Yes, certainly uh, it's highlighted uh, a lot of problems and challenges uh, in, in the current system. And you mentioned uh, the report uh, that was carried out a number of years ago, uh, looking at ways to reform the visiting teachers uh, service and to reform it. And it's probably more important than ever that that is implemented uh, fully. But um, unfortunately, uh, like happened uh, during the uh, last um, uh, recession, uh, there were a lot of uh, cutbacks uh, uh, made. Do you fear and does FAIC fear that uh, uh, people with disabilities and educational supports and SNAs and resource teachers, do you think that they will be uh, adequately uh, resourced uh, as we face into an economic uh, re recession and what can we do to ensure that they are prioritised? Um, that's a really good question, Kevin. I, yeah, obviously we always worry if things are like this when we the economy was in a boom, you do go, oh my God, what is going to happen? But, uh, you know, if you look at the government spending on special education, it's quite high. What I see as a major issue is, is the way spending is, they spend a lot of money, but they don't do it very well, you know. Uh, for example, they'll give a, a kids a very good piece of kit, like it'll cost four or five grand, but it's given to the child. There's no training given with it. Uh, the teachers don't know how to use it. The schools don't know how to use it. So in my opinion, there's an awful lot of things they could do with the current situation to improve it that doesn't need a lot of money thrown at it, you know. Uh, for example, the, the visiting teachers could be given more support by other agencies who can... Um, help with the technological side of things. I mean, six or seven years ago, the tech side of the VT's job was not that big. It is now massive, you know, because things have improved. That's helped visually impaired kids. But if that 
section of is not managed properly. They have all the technology, but they're not getting the most from it. So um, unfortunately, the SNAs, I, I, I think in a way, because they've changed the uh, allocation model, our kids, unfortunately, are more dependent now on SNAs than they were before. And that is a real step backwards, because what we really want and advocate for our kids is independent learning. Um, and something I would say to parents very strongly is there is no knight in shining armour to come in and save this for you. You need to get in there be very proactive and take a lot of control back. We know all these holes in the systems are there. They're not going to be fixed for a while. So I would go in and be very proactive with my child. And I would say, OK, my child has missed three months. What are we going to do to sort it out? A lot of the time, the school just doesn't know what they can be doing to support your child correctly. So it's a question of getting in there and having conversations. Um, I think we now know that uh, the latest from the visiting teachers is that they're only going to be visiting for essential services. So I think for the next while, they're not, you know, it's not going to be business as usual. So um, I would advise people to get in and be as proactive as possible with schools and ensure that their child's needs that weren't met for the three months begin to be met. I know I've diverged from your question. Um, what, okay, I am concerned, but what uh, does make me feel positive is parents are much more aware now, and I think they will be much more proactive. And if you have people, you know, highlighting what's going on and highlighting and working with schools, we have a better chance of holding on to our resources. And if we could streamline them and getting them get them work properly, we shouldn't really need that much extra, but we do need to hold on to what we are, but have it working properly for us. Because we are a minority disability, things need to be, our supports are different, and that needs to be recognised with the Department of Education. The point you made, Ethna, around independent uh, learning uh, is really interesting, and I can just about uh, recall my own days in uh, uh, secondary school. I won't reveal how many years ago that uh, yeah. was uh, at this particular uh, stage, but one of the biggest uh, adjustments uh, in my whole educational um, journey uh, following losing my sight during secondary school was I did have a lot of uh, resources uh, in place and I was quite fortunate in, in that regard but then when I went to third level um, whilst there was lots of supports and the equipment was there you, you really had to fend uh, for yourself and you had to be so much more uh, independent so it's really important um, that uh, uh, our kids are as independent uh, as possible uh, when when they are at uh, primary and second level so that they can make that adjustment. Oh I couldn't agree with you more I mean the worst thing you can do in a way is over support a child because you're actually disabling them and you know I have two kids so one is leaving cert the other is junior cert one came through the old system where she had more resource and we worked on a plan to support withdraw support withdrawal and, and always have her prepared for the next uh, stage my second son was coming through and he's he's come through on much less support and he is much more dependent on his SNA because when that support isn't there to make them independent, they need someone to help them all the time. So it's not only that, it's to be able to advocate for themselves. So to say, I actually can't see that. I need this made this size, you know, and I... I I just can't tell you what an example my kids are of how resources, while more money has been spent, 
resources for our kids are actually really diminishing. Now, new parents to the system don't realise this. They think this is this is how the system works. So it's really a case of having to arm the parents so they can go into the schools and get the supports that's needed for their kids. Because I suppose at this stage, I am, I think I'm 16 years into it. I'm coming out the other side of it. And I really think you have to drive it yourself because it's not going to come from because it's a minority disability and because they haven't um, changed the they haven't changed the VT system or uh, moved with the times with that. You really have to get up and do things yourself. And getting your kid to be independent and able to self advocate is absolutely key. Time now for a little bit of uh, crystal uh, ball gazing uh, on our behalf. Uh, we're recording this uh, just in advance of everyone returning uh, to uh, school at the start of uh, September. And how are parents feeling uh, about that? I'm sure in one regard, they're relieved uh, for children uh, to be going back. But again, there's a lot of uncertainty. It's very unclear as to how it's going to work. And God forbid, if there were to be partial closures of schools in a town or a region or uh, or even worse uh, another lockdown and a complete uh, closure of schools do you think uh, the department are any more prepared uh, <laughs> honestly i don't want to worry parents but um i think it's going to be it's a i think it's a positive thing the schools are open okay and i think you need to, we all need to take a one week at a time uh really di take a diet on social media and stuff that's going out there um i think that uh what you need to do is kind of be very careful at the narrative at home keep everything very positive and ensure that uh, your child is going in in a, in a positive manner because the best place for them is school. I think communication with the school is very key, as in, you know, you really need to explain that social distancing is very hard for kids who are visually impaired and blind and exceptions have to be made around them so that their mobility, they can be mobile, move around the school and stuff like that. Um, the feedback coming in from parents is that they're very worried and that is totally to be understood. Uh, understood. Like everything else, it's this huge variance of um guidelines are not guidelines how the guidelines are interpreted so some schools are all over it and some schools are absolutely nowhere near it okay so uh like i always say arm yourself up and you try and drive your your, your child's support and uh drive their journey through school um we can only hope that they can uh that things will move forward in a positive way. But at the same time, what I would say to parents is really stay on top, stay in touch, because um, there is a lot of chaos out there and schools don't really, you know, it's new for them as well. A lot of them are doing the very best they can. So um, I think with if you support your kid this side as well, it will really help. Um, yeah, so fingers crossed and just kind of try and take it week by week because like you say, we just don't know what's around the corner. But from our point of view, to have them back in school is such a positive and that's what we want to hold on to. And I'm sure you'll agree with me uh, on this point. Uh, parents uh, reaching out and staying in contact uh, with yourselves and fake or the NCBA uh, children's uh, team is so very important because there will be unique uh, challenges and issues uh, arising uh, around the country and, and even in, in particular uh, counties and we all can learn and come up with uh, coping strategies or left of field uh, thinking to overcome some of these challenges if we all continue to keep uh, communicating. 
Absolutely. And I've always found the best advice I've always got is from other parents. Um, we have a, a fake group page on Facebook. Now, that's only for parents of blind and visually impaired kids. And it's a closed group. So parents, I would advise any parents if they're feeling a little bit lost, isolated or want advice, join that group. It's a very safe space. And honestly, you get so much knowledge there. Um, and I think, if, for example, there's something we, we missed out on, which was July provision. And this was the first year that our kids were eligible for July provision. And um, so that was where you get extra, they get extra support during the summer months, either via tuition or there was some courses run by NC NCBI. So it's either in school, at home or courses run by NCBI this summer. And it was absolutely brilliant. And that kind of came about with parents talking to each other and saying, let's go for this. And and it's the power of a group of people coming together is massive. So it is all about talking and uh, getting ideas from other people, trying to stay positive, but at the same time being proactive. Everything that we hear on the uh, Facebook page, we feed into back into the Department of Education. I'm in constant touch with the head of the visiting teachers, and we're always trying to work with these groups to try and make everything better. So absolutely stay in touch, uh, use the social media support that's out out there that is good and positive and you know together we are much stronger and like I said this has been quite negative but it's actually been so positive from the point of view of parents understanding what supports they need and if we can take this as a base and move forward and get better support for our kids it will actually all be well worth it. Yeah, I know from speaking to my colleagues in the NCBI children's team, uh, the camps uh, were really successful and it was great that NCBI was in a position to be able to provide uh, that service and hopefully uh, going forward, uh, one thing coming out of COVID is that uh, children who are blind or vision impaired will be able to access uh, July provision and it won't be a one summer uh, wonder. But before we uh, wrap up, uh, Ethna, uh, what I was uh, keen to speak about because we've really focused on the educational challenges but for uh, children who are blind and vision impaired uh, really challenging to be out of the school uh, setting um, not being in contact with, with their friends and I suppose really isolating and being blind and vision impaired can be isolating at times uh, also Oh, yeah, I think so. I think and that was a major issue again. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm in this a long time. And it was the first time I really observed. Wow. You know, um, going in and out of school gives kids great mobility, you know, so when they weren't going in and out of school, their mobility went, when their mobility went, their confidence went, you know, and it's all a big crescendo. Like, you know, my son was used to walking the dog. He didn't want to walk the dog anymore. So these things are challenges that people wouldn't think of at all. So, um connecting with people keeping in touch with their peers is it's a huge part of their education like it's a huge part of everyone's education but it is vital to keep in touch and to keep these the, just even the chat and the banter going because like you say it is an extra isolation and there is a lack of confidence that can get much bigger when they're when you're at home by yourself so to be out there even going in and out of school taking the bus it's massive and um, we can't underestimate what happens to kids when they're left at home by themselves. Ethna, real pleasure speaking to you uh, on the uh, program uh, today and I think uh, as we said, uh, we're entering another period of uh, uncertainty and hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, things will go OK. But let's uh, chat again in a few weeks as the situation evolves.
Yeah, absolutely. That was great, Kevin. And um, yeah, thanks for having us on. That was Ethna Walsh, uh, Advocacy Officer with FAIC in conversation with myself, uh, Kevin Kelly. This podcast will be available on all the usual podcast uh, platforms and across NCBI and FAIC's social media.